Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we come to the end of our series on Jonah. We're in Jonah chapter 4. And someone uh, mentioned to me last week, uh, she said that when she heard that we were starting a sermon series on Jonah, she thought, well, I already know this story. You know, it's a very short book. What could you, <laughs> what could you get from it? And she said she was surprised uh, to find just how deep it goes in terms of understanding God and ourselves and the gospel of Jesus. Uh, and today is no different, even though on the surface it looks like a very strange uh, thing. A little recap for you, uh, just in case you're not familiar with the Jonah story. So Jonah is a prophet of God. A prophet is not just a person who predicts the future. They speak what God tells them to say. That's what they do. That's what a prophet does. And God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them to repent. And Jonah says, no. And he runs the other direction. And so God sends a storm uh, to shake things up. Jonah wants to be thrown into the sea. He'd rather go to the bottom of the ocean then to Nineveh. Uh, and instead, God sends a great fish or whale, rescues him, and vomits him up onto the shore and says again, Jonah, I'm going to get my way. And so Jonah relents and he goes with it. It's not that Jonah just got a second chance. God's not the God of second chances in the story of Jonah. God is the God of, I'm going to have my way. And so God, uh, so Jonah goes. And he goes into Nineveh in chapter three, as we heard last week, and uh, he preaches the worst sermon ever. And now I'm supposed to be self-effacing as the preacher right now and be like, well, I've preached some real doozies, uh, which is true, but never as bad as Jonah. Because Jonah, it's like five words, right? 40 days, this place is going to get overturned. He doesn't explain who's going to do it. He doesn't tell them why. He doesn't give them any tips for improvement. Like it's not a here's seven steps to improve your marriage kind of a thing. There's no direction given at all in the message. And he doesn't even want to say it. I mean, you could talk about for Pat and Hyundai and I are preaching and what's good or bad about whatever. We all care to say what God has told us to tell you. Jonah doesn't even have that going for him. He doesn't want to say what God has given him to say. And yet, the success of his message is incredible. I mean, it's revival in the city of Nineveh. From the king all the way down to the cattle, we're told everybody repents and turns to the Lord. So at the beginning of the story, Jonah goes the opposite direction, and maybe we wonder why. We always want these motivations behind our, our people. What's the motivation here? Why does he go? Maybe at first you think, okay, Nineveh, they are enemies of God's people, so maybe he's afraid. You know, don't go into the war zone. Uh, you'd be fearing for your own life. And so maybe we think Jonah's not going because he's afraid. Uh, maybe we would think, well, he's angry with the Ninevites, and so he just doesn't want to be around them, and that's a little bit closer to the truth. But the answer to why Jonah runs away is actually given to us at the very end with his own words. This is what he says at the beginning of chapter 4. This is a prayer to God. He says, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger, and abounding in love. In other words, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh 
because he knows God is compassionate and will have mercy on his enemies. That's pretty profound. Now, Jonah knows that God is compassionate. How many of you guys know that God is compassionate? Very good. All right. And Jonah knows this. He's a prophet of the Lord and he knows the story of his people, Israel. In fact, Jonah, uh, being a speaker and reader and writer of Hebrew, knows that the word for compassion in his heart language is actually the same root word as the word for womb. Hebrew's beautiful like this. It always uses physical things for emotional connection. You know, so if, you're, if your nostrils flare, you're angry, right? Or if you're long of nose, this is one of my favorite ones in Hebrew. <laughs> if you're long of nose, what does that mean? It means you're patient. In other words, you've gotten older and your nose has gotten longer, apparently. I, that's the Hebrew. Don't blame me, okay? But it means you're patient, right? So they would say God is long of nose. Well, the same word for compassion uh, is the same root Hebrew word for womb, right? A, a perfect description for motherly care, right? For this fragile newborn. This is the way God is, And it's actually how he describes himself. So Jonah, we heard today, says, I knew you were compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Those aren't Jonah's original words. He's taking that from Exodus 3. This is how God describes himself to Moses. Hear them them again. This is from first person from God. He comes to Moses at the burning bush, Exodus 3, and says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. God's movement comes from his compassion. And it's a thread all throughout Scripture. I mean, you can see other things like other attitudes. God gets jealous for his people. God gets mad like a parent who's trying to protect their kid from harm. He has all these things. But the the steady thread through all of God's word is his compassion, which of course means Jesus is no different. When he first begins his ministry and he looks out over the crowds that are assembled in front of him, he doesn't see a group of people who paid 180 bucks for his weekend workshop on how to improve their lives and be successful with others, right? He sees sheep without a shepherd. He sees people in need uh, who don't know what they're doing and need his help holistically, to their body, to their minds, to their hearts, to their relationships. Jesus has compassion on the people that he sees, on you and me, because we are like sheep without a shepherd. Now we know this, right? Jonah knows this, but what's his problem? He doesn't agree. (laughs) He knows that God is compassionate, but he does not feel that same compassion. And so we need some object lessons, right? The plant is the first object lesson. I've got a few objects for you guys here today because I can't just tell you some information, right? We got to do what God does. So I got some objects. These are treasures that I took from my kids' drawers, all right? I won't say which kid had what thing, but they've obviously kept these for a reason, okay? Does anyone know what this is? It's a little, it's kind of far away for you, I'm sure. You could zoom in on the live stream. But anyway, um, this is a, the the little kids in the early service were guessing at everything. But um, this is a plastic cap that goes to something. (laughs) 
I have no idea what it goes to. I bet the something doesn't exist anymore. In my mind, this is trash. How do my kids feel about it? It's a treasure. All right, it's a treasure. How about for you guys? Seem valuable to you? No, not really. You can be honest with me. My kids are in Sunday school downstairs. Don't worry. What's this? Anyone know? You'd have to have small children around to guess at this one. All right. Our teachers are trying to take a close look, right? This is actually, the Weber kids uh, nailed it right away. This is an applesauce cap. Okay. So you know those squeezable applesauces? So you can shove as much applesauce into your face as quickly as possible. Uh, This is the plastic cap that goes on these. And I think there are several hundred of these stashed throughout my house. (laughs) There's some project or dream that the kids have about these things. How about you guys? You see value in it? Declutter my house. That's what I'm saying, right? Declutter my house. All right, let's move up. Anyone know what this is? It's a slingshot. Oh, thank the Lord. He finally showed us something we can identify. Okay. This is a they used a little piece of wood, a little stick here that was a perfect little V-shape here. And they've taken some uh, yarn here and made a little grip for the handle, okay? And I'm guessing my son made this because it's using girls' hair ties as the, uh, as the pull here. Let's see how, how it works. I'm going to use the applesauce cap in order to shoot this right at the udders there. Okay, ready? Oh, that actually worked better than any other time I've done it. That was amazing. That actually went like 10 feet. There you go. Um, anybody want this? All right, I have a request in the back. Okay, but I don't see a lot of value in it. I could probably get a better slingshot, but we're starting to get closer, right? Now you can see some utility of this. So maybe you see a little bit more value. Any difference in my kids' view between these things, between the cap and the, probably not, still all a treasure. Last one's going to be the easiest for us to access. Does anybody know what this is? It's a blankie. Just give me a moment. Okay. It's actually not, this isn't even my youngest's actual blankie because that would not be allowed for me to take it out of its safe zone. But this is a facsimile of my daughter's blankie. Uh, but you guys are now starting to see a little bit, right? Uh, maybe you're starting to feel a little bit. Maybe there's something uh, in your life that is really precious to you. Maybe there's someone or some ones in your life that you just, you see inherent value in them and others like maybe don't. They maybe, they maybe see it's kind of a strange. Why do you care about that? Or why do you care for that person? It seems kind of strange. And God uses that plant with Jonah like an object lesson, almost like a parable. You know, parables get, kind of get you out of yourself so that you'll actually entertain a thought a little bit differently. Like when David's confronted about Bathsheba, he's told this story about a little lamb that gets stolen. And David's like, this is outrageous. Like he feels the injustice of it. It's not just head knowledge for him. He's feeling it, right? And God, through this plant with Jonah, is inviting Jonah to feel just a touch of compassion. That's the only thing we're told that he's happy about in the story is the plant that gives him shade. Jonah cares about that plant. And God, reversed to what we would do, doesn't say, that's silly of you, Jonah, for caring about a plant, a vine. What a small thing. No. God's actually saying, 
Do you know that little glimpse of compassion you have for that thing you didn't even create? You didn't even tend or water the plant. I provided it for you. That little glimmer of compassion that you have for that, this is what I feel for the people of Nineveh. This is what I feel for all that I have created. It's precious to me. And so God, through that plant, is inviting Jonah, just as he's inviting you and I today, not just to know his compassion, but to feel it ourselves and to know what he feels about you. Now, plants, blankies, um, slingshots, if they're not being aimed at you, these are innocuous things, right? We don't seem to have a much of a feel about them one way or the other. But the people of Nineveh, as we heard last week, are pretty brutal people. I mean, they're, they're wicked. They don't know the Lord. They are involved in all kinds of things that are wrong. And maybe right now, you could also think of the yeah, but in compassion. There's someone in your life or some kinds of people that exist in our community around us, in our culture around us, that are like beyond the pale. They're They're terrible. We, I can't, I have a struggle having compassion for those folks. And you'd be right. But there's one other object lesson for us today. You guys ready to play? Twister? I'm sure all, you know, 180 of us or whatever in here could do this right now. All right, if you've ever played uh, a board game with a three-year-old, how does that go? Not great. Normally, they're changing the rules constantly, and they always win, right? Twister's a little different because you will get them to play along. And so you can spread the mat out, and especially kids love this game. I think past the age of, like, 25, you're done, okay? But when you're really little, you like this game. And so my kids, each one of their stages, but I'm remembering my youngest, easiest, uh, when she was three, you play, okay, and you spin it, and you say, all right, left foot red. And what does she do? She picks up her right foot. This one? No, no, the other one. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, and then you spin it again. And you say, right hand red. And what does she do? She puts her left hand up. This one? Now, I know statistically, if you flip a coin, it's supposed to land 50% of the time. But with little kids and their right and left, how often do they do the exact opposite? 100% of the time. It's a better bet than Vegas, right? You can guarantee every single time they're going to go this one and pick up the wrong one. I've done this recently. I have a case study. I'll give you guys the 20-page report on it. Okay? They do this every single time. They do not know their right from their left. This is how God describes Nineveh. Now, I don't get mad at her about this. I don't scream at her. I don't, I mean, I start to lose patience after a while. Don't get me wrong, right? But I'm not tearing up the game and saying, that's, that's it, we're done with this. She's also not right. She needs to know. She needs correction. And God is saying the same thing about the people of Nineveh. Yeah, they, they don't, they are wicked. They do not know their right from their left, which is why God's heart breaks for them and why he wants them to hear his word and turn back to him. And this is what God is saying, not only about Nineveh, but also about the people in our lives 
or in our world around us, what he's saying about us. Like Jesus says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And like Paul tells us in Romans 7, there are times where, you know, we don't even know what we're doing. I know the thing I want to do and I don't do it, right? I know what I'm trying to avoid and I find myself right back in there again and again. And God is showing us that his heart for us goes beyond all of that. He knows that we are, don't know our right from our left. And so he has compassion on us. What God is showing us, not just in Jonah, but throughout his word, and most poignantly in his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is that this is what he feels for you. It's what he feels for you. God is compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Not just something we know, but something we know God feels for each and every one of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.